Hello, welcome to Rational Investing. My name is Cameron Stewart, CFA. Thank you for watching on YouTube and listening on the podcast channel. This week up, we're going to do something special. We're going to take a look at a single stock that Monish Paparai has put 93% of his money into. Who is Monish? Monish is a Buffett disciple. He is a billionaire. He was a software engineer who migrated into money management, had a brilliant strategy of simply picking the stocks that other big famous money managers buy. He did the same, and 20 years later, he's a billionaire and very, very famous. He's put 90% of his money into one stock. That stock is Micron Technology. Let's figure out why he's doing this. More importantly, how much cash money does Micron Technologies make? And if we bought it today, following his investment strategy, and held it for 10 years, how much do we think we can make on the stock? You ready? Let's get to work. Now, before we dive into the investment, I want you to remi- I want to remind you that you should be reading the 10Ks for all the investment companies that you own. The 10K is the annual report issued by each public traded company. You can find it on their website. You can also find it on the SEC's website. Behind me is the Micron Technologies 10K, their annual uh, report. It's as of August 31st is their end of the fiscal year. I'm filming this now in January 2023. Uh, so we're about six months into their new fiscal year. But please, please go back, read their annual reports. It's very, very insightful when you're looking at investing. Now, this channel, we believe that cash flow is the underlying value of a company, that a company is worth the cash it produces. And we do not chase growth stocks. We do not chase high market multiple stocks. And we certainly don't put a lot of emphasis on the future because ultimately the future is completely unknown. I mean, how many Wall Street analysts called correctly the pandemic and the absolute destruction that happened in the stock market as a result of it? Hardly anybody. No one's 2020 forecasts include the pandemic. So I think looking at the future and trying to assign value based on that is uh, highly unlikely. What I prefer to do and what other value investors prefer to do is look historically, the only actual information we have and see how much am I paying relative to prior periods of actual results. And if I buy a business cheap enough on historical values, going forward, I'm less dependent on what the future holds. If I have a good deal today based on the last couple years of earnings, I know that at a bare minimum, I should be able to get something around that value, hopefully, and I'm not dependent on doubling, tripling, quadrupling uh, of revenue and earnings that many, many investors fall prey to by watching CNBC and uh, Jim Cramer and other people who are only focused on quarter by quarter growth. So we look at cash flow. We believe that cash flow is the underlying value of a business. When we value businesses, we use five key attributes to summarize a business for more due diligence. And those key factors are number one, top line revenue growth. We wanna see 10 years of growing revenue. Number two, strong earnings growth. We wanna see EBITDA growing for 10 years. Number three, strong free cash flow. Absolutely, it's the name of the game. Number four, you want a business with low debt, less than three times debt to EBITDA. And number five, we want a well-priced stock. Now, what is a well-priced stock? A well-priced stock is a reasonable price that you pay for the the equity you're buying with a conservative forecast in the future would beat the stock market. The stock market, as the S&P 500, does on average 10% annual return for any 10-year period of time that that you could measure the S&P 500. So our benchmark is the S&P, and we want to be better than that. So if we're going to put our money to work, I want a stock that I believe with a conservative forecast can beat the stock market and be, have, have a return of greater than 10% for a 10-year period of time. That's what we try to do. That is a well-priced stock. It's a stock that you can buy cheap enough 
with a conservative forecast that is projected to beat the market. Let's take a look into Micron Technology, apply these attributes and see why Monish Pabrai has purchased the stock and see when he bought it and see what he's, what he's seeing in this company. Now, as you recall, this business, and you can watch my earlier video where I deep dive deeper into their products, but this business makes memory and storage. That's what they do. They've got 11 manufacturing sites around the world. They're a very, very prominent player, one of a handful that do this product where they design and manufacture memory and storage devices. So let's take a look at their revenue and break, start breaking down this business. Okay, behind me is the revenue. Revenue for 2014 was $16.4 billion in 2014 for this business. These numbers are as of August 31st, which is their fiscal year end. Now, as you advance this, this company does grow. You get $16.4 billion. 2015, $16.2, a little lower. In 2016, it's 12.4, a little lower again, but then it gaps up. 2017, $20 billion. 2018, $30 billion. This is revenue. 2019, we had $23 billion of revenue. 2020, we had $21, then $27.7, and then finally $30.7 billion of top line revenue for the this business in fiscal year 2022. Now, if I look at that, there's kind of some ups, some downs in this business of producing memory and storage, you will have highs and lows and changes of revenue as it's a competitive landscape. Uh, but if I take a look at the period of time as a whole, this nine year period of time, and again, we are long, long-term investors. We are not concerned necessarily about one quarter or two, we're looking for the long-term of the business. Over that period of time, it's averaged an 8% annual growth of top line revenue for this business. That is fantastic. We want to check the box here that you're seeing top line revenue grow. I like to see that. Next, we want to look at earnings. Now, earnings is EBITDA, earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. We use EBITDA as a, as a proxy for stabilized earnings, normalized earnings, because it removes some of the nuance of the income statement that can cloud earnings per share. That's why I like it. I also like it's not diluted by the share count. A lot of companies out there, especially right now, are buying back stock aggressively to prop up the earnings per share because you take net income, divide that by the shares outstanding, to get earnings per share EPS. If my earnings, net income is flat or going down, I can buy back shares, which is the denominator of that equation, faster and actually make my earnings per share go up even though the business's net income as a whole is declining. That is very, very important. Now, I'm a, I'm a CFO by profession. I run a YouTube channel and a podcast because it's something fun. It's a hobby that I like to do. Uh, but as a professional CFO, you can target earnings and you know what you're trying to hit. And if you've got excess cash, you can buy back shares and manipulate that number for, for short periods of time. Long term, it's very, very difficult. But that's why we look at enterprise level earnings. I want to make sure first and foremost, the business as a whole is growing its earnings. Then I want them to buy back shares and grow it even faster. Hey, sorry to interrupt. If you like the content, please subscribe. I greatly appreciate it. Also, if you want more stock tips, check my website out, cashflowinvestingpro.com, where I produce one-pagers like this one, summarizing 10 years of financial information for America Express. I give you a forecast of what I think it's going to do, and currently, I think it's yield 23% IRR for the next decade. An amazing stock pick. There's lots more. Check out the link below for a free one-pager at cashflowinvestingpro.com. Okay, let's continue on with the earnings. EBITDA. 
5.5 billion dollars of EBITDA on 16.4 billion of revenue in 2014. That was a profit margin of 33%. So profitable and 33 EBITDA margin is a wide margin, a very good business. Okay, let's keep going and see what happens in time. So 5.47, 5.65, 3.2, a little down in 2016, jumps back up to 9.7, then 19.6, absolute behemoth year 2018, uh, 12.8, 8 8.7, 13, 16.8 in 2022. So $16.8 billion of EBITDA last year, last fiscal year in 2022. That represented a 55% profit margin and a practically all-time high profit margin for this business. The last three years, they have really, well, last six years, they've really moved their, widened their, their margin, their, their EBITDA margin. Uh, that's profit margin, EBITDA divided by revenue, has grown substantially from earlier in this decade period time of averaging about 30% EBITDA margin to later in the decade averaging, that's about 50% EBITDA margin, a really, really big growth rate and widening of the margin. So what does that mean? That means our, our, our profitability growth rate over this period of time, 2014 to 2022, has grown faster than revenue. And sure enough, we're seeing a 15% annual growth rate in EBITDA over this nine-year period of time. Yes, it, it's volatile. Do not expect a business to be a straight-line graph. There are, there, are, there are factors in the market. There is timing of re receiving product to be able to sell. There is changes in uh, construction plans that brings plants online or offline. So don't expect a business to have a nice, smooth path. That's basically only forecasts are uh, smooth. In reality, business go up, they go down. Um, but in the long run, that's what you and I are interested in long run. If I'm going to hold a stock for 20, 30, 40 years, do I care necessarily if one year was down or two years were down? Not necessarily. So this business going up and down, up and down on the, in the totality has grown at 15% annually over this period of time while revenue grew at 8%. So if earnings is growing faster than revenue, that means margins are widening as they grow. Great, great business. And I can see early on here why Monish see, uh, is, is interested in this business. Okay, now we wanna build up to enterprise value. Enterprise value is the true value of a business. It is not market cap. It is not the value that's quoted in the stock market that is only half of the game, and if you have debt on a business, you are missing a giant piece of the value of a business. I will explain. Let's take a look at their debt here. So long-term and short-term debt, we're looking for bond debt, we're looking for uh, capitalized leases, we're looking for pension obligations, things that are a risk of bankruptcy. We do not include working capital items like payroll, um, receivable, uh, inventory, uh, uh, prepaid expenses, things like that we wanna leave aside. This is like bank debt, true obligations. 6.7, 6.6 billion dollars of debt in 2014, and that has grown slightly over this period, kind of spikes and comes back down. So 6.5, 7, 10, 11, then comes down to 4.6, 5.5, 
5.3, So it's been very consistent around $7 billion of debt the last three years running. And overall, if I started this earlier decade with 6.5 and I ended the decade with 7.5, that's a 2% annual growth rate in debt, much, much less than revenue growth rate and much less than earnings growth rate. So I would expect their leverage ratio to be coming down over time. Let's keep going. Cash on hand, they have cash on hand. What do we think of cash on hand? Cash on hand is excess cash, not the cash that they need to run the daily basis, but they're like their savings, their savings account. Think of your own personal uh, checking account. You might have a balance in that checking account that you're going to need because sometimes you buy a couch and there's a bigger transaction that comes out. Sometimes you don't. Then you have your savings account, which might just be cash that's sitting there for an emergency case or cash that you don't even really use. It's not invested money, but it's a backup. That's what we want here. That's what this is. This is their backup cash, if you will. And they started the, the decade, the nine-year period, with $384 billion of excess cash, and they ended with $1 billion. Market cap is shares outstanding times price. We use fully diluted shares of uh, at times the average price. So you're getting a $3.8 billion market cap has grown to uh, 80, uh, $68 billion market cap over this period of time. That's a 8% annual growth rate. So I add the debt plus the market cap and I subtract the cash and I get enterprise value, the true value of a business. My analogy here, which I think does well, is a home price. If you look at a house on the market, that value of the home is the enterprise value. If you cannot pay cash, you go to a mortgage, you go to a bank and get a mortgage. That mortgage is the debt piece and your down payment is the equity in the home. What trades in the stock market is just the equity, like your down payment of a house. You miss the debt piece if you only focus on the down payment. So what has enterprise value done? Well, enterprise value has gone from $44 billion, uh, kind of down, dropped down to $25 billion, uh, kind of halfway through this period. Then it jumps up uh, all as high as $91 billion. And right now, last fiscal year, $74 billion. So on, on the totality, we have grown the enterprise value here at 7% annual over this time, while earnings have grown at 15%. So it's, it's getting cheaper over time, which is really, really interesting. So now let's take a look at two ratios. Two ratios, we want to look at net debt to EBITDA. So what is this? This is how much leverage do they have? Their net debt, take debt minus cash, net debt, divide that by EBITDA. EBITDA is their, earn, their annual earnings, simplified, normalized earnings that strips out a lot of the, uh, the one-time items you might have, currency translation, pension payments, uh, uh, closing of a, uh, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a manufacturing site, or even uh, the, the gain from a stock investment and you have in a portfolio. This is just business earnings is the EBITDA. So if I take enterprise value divided by, excuse me, if I take net debt to EBITDA and divide the two, they had one times leverage. That means one year of earnings would pay off all of the debt. Great. That grew to three times when they were, when they were um, you know, when earnings really dipped. That's the maximum that we want to see. So it's nice to see if earnings fall, their debt level hits our maximum and then comes back down. It doesn't breach it. And then from three times debt leverage, it's come all the way down to the last three years running. It's been sub one. They're currently at 0.4% leverage ratio, which essentially means the business has zero debt. Uh, a little bit of debt here, fine. But in reality, that's very, very low debt. So I would consider this business almost, almost, unleveraged. 
which means that the equity owners, you and me, the people who buy the stock, now have stock upside growth potential, but the collateral position of a bond. What does that mean? If you're a bondholder, you have first claim on the assets, like um, like a um, like buying the house example. The bank has a first claim on the asset of the home. If you don't pay, they repossess. That's the first claim on that asset. Well, if you uh, so that you're an equity owner, there's someone in front of you. Should you get in trouble, they're going to take the house from you. Same thing in the business. If the business struggles and you have bank debt, that bank debt is going to go to court and repossess the assets and you, the equity holder, will have zero value. So if this has almost no debt in front of you, that means there's very few people in front of you if the business struggles to go to the court and restructure the debt. So you have the protection of the hard assets as your collateral, but you have the upside potential of equity holders because the bondholders only get their interest. They have no upside potential. Here, you get both. I think that's very, very appealing. I think that's what Monish is saying. The next thing we want to look, into, want to look into is the EBITDA, enterprise value to EBITDA. This is a relative metric for valuation. It's not perfect. I understand EBITDA is not Buffett's preferred method. Totally get that. He looks at free cash flow, which we will get to in a second. But from an industry perspective, enterprise value divided EBITDA is a highly used relative value metric that over time can be very valuable because it shows you the enterprise value of the business, the total value of the company, divided by the earnings that it makes every single year. And it essentially tells you how many years of future earnings are you paying. So when the, earlier in the decade, when they were producing EBITDA of $5.5 billion of EBITDA, they were trading at eight times EBITDA. So eight years of earnings equals my enterprise value of 44 billion dollars. And as time has gone on, remember we said enterprise value grew at 7%, but earnings were growing at 15. That market multiple has come down to 4.5 times. Now, the, the same business, nine years later, you can buy for four times, four and a half times uh, cash flow as of, excuse me, EBITDA as of last fiscal year. So this is a very interesting value, relative value metric. How much, how many times earnings are you paying for a business? And Monish Pabrai was buying his stock in 2019. So he was buying at this range when it was 3.4 times to four times. And it previously, as he was looking at this business, it is unlevered, so it still has two times, you know, it's gonna be 0 0.2 times leverage. This is from his vantage point when he's buying in 2019, he's looking backwards. He's saying this stock traded as high as eight times. I can now buy it for half its value. It's unlevered and it's, and it's we'll get to buying back shares in a second. But so it's from, from his perspective, when he bought it, in 2019, he's buying it for four times. It used to be trading at eight. So we can get the market multiple expansion that we'll talk about in a second, but that's a market multiple expansion opportunity for him. It's unlevered, so he's he has the collateral position of a bondholder, but the upside of an equity. That is true brilliance right there, and that's what he's buying when he's looking at that stock. He's not so much looking out in the future and trying to predict what's gonna happen. He's just saying, hey, I get a phenomenal business at cheap where I have collateral, along with the upside, and I'll just let the future happen the way it's gonna happen. All right, so let's update the financials. As, as I said, the annual numbers are as of August. There's a new quarter that they've released, and then we're gonna to try to figure out what the future might hold for this business and that kind of wild guess. So here's their quarterly revenue that uh, for the last four quarters running. 
Uh, in Q2 of 2022, they had 7.8 billion, then 8.6 billion, 6.6 billion, and 4.4 billion. The, the revenue has fallen dramatically, almost halved in revenue size in the last six months. As the economy is cooling, as Bitcoin has collapsed, uh, people are buying fewer computers. Computers are slowing. We're seeing that from Dell and HP and so forth. Like that. As that slows down, that means slow, less purchasing of memory, storage devices, and so forth. So revenue has absolutely dropped. So their, their LTM, the last 12 months, is $27 billion of revenue. If I run rate the last quarter, meaning this last Q1 that they produced of $4 billion of revenue, if I just say, hey, that's going to be the flat line, and they're going to hit that for the next four quarters in a row, that's a $16 billion revenue for the company next year. Well, they had $30 billion of revenue in 2022. So that's a having, a potential having of value or having of revenue coming into the future, which is really interesting and uh, creates a very um, uh, uncertain future for, for this business in the near term. I still like the business, but the, the near term, the shock to the world with inflation, the pullback as interest rates go, go up, as people lay off, are laid off, they're just going to spend less on stuff. And that stuff is flowing back to manufacturers who make the stuff that they buy. So I think the, the risk here of a down year in revenue, I don't think they're going to lose money, but a down year of revenue, down year of earnings is high. Uh, I've got some other metrics here. I'll just let you take a screen grab, basically just run rating EBITDA. Uh, cash flow and so forth. I wanted to get down to the segmenting of of their their revenue just to show you some quickly. Uh, the United States represents the vast majority of the re of of last year's uh, revenue. So sixteen billion dollars were sales in the United States. Taiwan represented six point one billion. Mainland China was three point three billion. Japan one point seven billion. Hong Kong one point seven billion. Uh, the rest of Asia, 1.2, and the rest of the world, $652 million to give you the $30 billion of revenue they booked last year. So this is, this is about half of the entire business's revenue is coming from the United States. Another third is coming from um, uh, kind of mainland China and Taiwan. Let's go down and look at operating segments. So in terms of the stuff that they make, so that was geographic, mostly United States. Let's look at the stuff that they make. Where does the revenue come from? Computers and network, $13 billion. Mobile, uh, 7.2. In uh, the business unit itself, 5.2 billion. Storage, 4.5 billion for the total of $30 billion. So again, uh, most of the business geographically is done in the United States with kind of Taiwan and China, uh, the, the next biggest bucket. Uh, here, most of the, a little less than half, about 40% of the business is computer and networking. Um, uh, memory and storage assigned to the commuter and networking business unit. Uh, after that, you've got mobility, mo mobile devices. What type of products do they make? So that's the segment where they're selling into, but how much what, of the DRAM and, and, and NAND flash, uh, the flash that they make, most of it is DRAM. So $22 billion of revenue uh, is about two thirds of their of revenue is DRAM sold into computer and networks in the United States. So that's, you can kind of follow the money and figure out where most of their products 
are going. Geographically, so if we just look at their assets, what kind of exposure do they have to this China-Taiwan um, uh, argument issue? I don't know, Taiwan, go get them, guys. Uh, we, we, we all like you over here. So here you go, Taiwan, uh, six, uh, $13 billion uh, in terms of assets are located in Taiwan. Singapore, $12 billion of assets are located. Japan, US, uh, Malaysia, China, and other. Just get, let you guys take a snapshot. That gives you some geographic exposure. If there's um, issues in the uh, in Asia, will definitely affect their ability to manufacture goods. All right, let's take a look at cash flow with a rubber meets the road cash flow statement coming up. All right, cash flow. The true value of a business is the amount of free cash flow it produces. We look at total free cash flow and we look at free cash flow per share. And what we do is we take cash flow from operations, which is the first third of the cash flow statement. And I like to subtract stock-based comp. Even though it is a non-cash item, I like to treat it like a cash comp, certainly in light of all the tech companies, the way they've been monkeying with uh, cash flow. I just like to expense it so I can look at a bit of a cleaner number in my opinion. So 2014 adjusted free cash flow, 5.58, $5.6 billion. That drops to five, that drops to three, then it goes back up, eight, 17, kind of 13, eight, 12, and then finally $14.7 billion of adjusted free cash flow at 2022. That's an annualized growth rate over this period of time of 13%. Even though it goes up and down, A, it's always positive. It's never negative in a year. And then B, over the long term, it's growing up. What we like with the check, it's growing at 13% on annual basis. If we look at the income statement, our EBITDA is growing at 15%. That means that the accounting team is expensing things properly as they come in because the, the cash flow statement, the money going in and out, cash money, is lining up with the earnings income statement, the EBITDA, on an annual basis over time. They're going up in the same direction. That's a great way to smell check the numbers the accounting team is putting together. Great job, accounting team. CapEx is the amount of money that they invest in their property, plant, equipment, the big machineries that they build. And they have to put this money back in to build new factories and to upkeep the ones they have currently. And what we want to see is we want to see a large difference between the cash that they generate from cash flow operations and how much cash they have to put back in the business. So for example, in 2014, they made $5.58 billion of cash flow from the business, they had the money piling up and they peeled off of 3.1 billion and put it back into the business for future growth, which left them about $2.5 billion of pure cash that they can pay debt with, they can uh, pay as a dividend, they can buy back shares, or they can acquire other businesses. Now we know that this company has very little debt. That means that cash flow, that cash is for you and me, the equity owners. That's what the name of game is. That's what it's all about. Cash flow from operations, less capex. You got no debt. It flows to us. That's how you value business. And so in this time, this $2.3, $2.5 billion, let's fast forward in time. Last fiscal year, $14.6 billion of cash flow, $12 billion of capex, a monster year of capex. That's four times the amount of cash flow, cash flow they're pumping out to build equipment, property, plant equipment. And that leaves you about $2.5 billion of free cash flow. So I think they are managing very tightly the amount of free cash flow that comes out of this business. They're taking a lot of the cash that they generate and they're putting it back into new property, plant equipment, hopefully for growth. That's new factories, that's new facilities. That should allow them to stay on the cutting edge of technology and, and hopefully grow. 
And it seems to me like it's a little thin. It's a little thin. Um, and over time, it's working. That over time, they're able to grow revenue, EBITDA, and cash flow. Certainly EBITDA and cash flow, it's at, uh, at, at 15, 12, 15% annually. It's fantastic. Revenue, 8%, great. I'll take that all day. So that is a steady growth rate over the t- period of time. Consistently each, each well, not exactly every year, but over the time, they are able to keep a nice spread where it's positive every year. So then if we move to the next stage, which is paying debt, they have very little debt. They don't need uh, that much that much leverage. So if I look at the last couple of years and just remove, for example, the, the, the debt payments that they, that they made, because they're, they're so small, you don't need to. Like I was saying, they're producing about 2 billion, 2.6 billion of free cash every year. That's what we want to see. Now, that, how much is that on a per share basis? Well, for, on, on, on number of shares, 1.12 billion total shares outstanding uh, as of last fiscal year. So you take the 2.6 billion of free cash flow, the jack that they have piled up on their desk, the board of directors sits around and they say, well, what do we do? We, we made we made $14.6 billion of cash money running the business. We peeled off $12 billion put back in the business for growth to maintain the machine. And what's left over is $2.6 billion. They have $1.1 billion, billion shares. Divide the two and you get $2.3 billion per share. That is free cash flow per share, and that is what a business is valued on on a per share basis. It's that number. Now, how much you're willing to pay for that number and what that number is going to be out in the future is the argument people make in the stock market, and it's why the price fluctuates up and down. It's one of the reasons. What we're trying to do is buy this number at a reasonable price so that we're less dependent on growth. We want to pay a reasonable price for it. Okay, the next thing I want to show you and talk to you about is the share buyback here. They started this period with one, almost 1.2 billion shares and they've been buying back about 1% of the shares every year, um, fairly regularly, uh, in fact. So now they ended with 1.12, they started with 1.2. Uh, so they're going to, should continue to do that. And when you looked at um, Monish's investment, you can see that they were buying back shares from his perspective in 2019. 2019 is here. They had 1.14, they started with 1.2. So you had a company that was growing earnings, trading for three, in his world, three and a half times EBITDA, no debt, and was buying back shares. That in his world is a great buy. Let's see what stacks up today. Let's make a forecast for this business. All right, let's forecast this business. Now, what do we want to do? We know that the run rate of Q4 was $16 billion. That is down 47% year over year in revenue. I'm going to stick with that. I'm going to say conservatively, we'll take one quarter's absolute terrible earnings and their in their most recent release, they say they had some issues receiving products because of supply chain, but they are also quoting weak demand. And I think weak demand is a story that's underappreciated in the stock market. As rates rise, people are having a harder and harder time with inflation and making payment on basic services. They're going to stop buying computers and cars and, and earnings are coming down, I think, globally. So we're going to cut this by 50%. And then we're going to say, look, they're going to be already kind of low. They'll get some of that back. And they'll kind of work their way back over this next decade to what they were last year. So this is a pretty conservative view in my 
point is basically saying that they're going to be cut in half and they're going to take another decade to get where they were last year. Last year, long-term forecast being $34 billion. I'm going to keep their margin, however, at about 47%, slightly less than the 55 they were last year. So they're going to make next year $7.7 billion, $7.8 billion of EBITDA. And long-term, they're going to be at $16.5 billion, which is basically what they made last year. I then convert that into a free cash flow, and I get a free cash flow per share estimate of basically $1.08 per share, growing to $2.30 per share out 10 years, which is the number I showed you they had last year. So this is a really hard cut to the earnings power of the business next year, and a slow pick back up over a decade uh, for, for a forecast. Let's see what this does for the valuation. All right, I want to take a minute just to remind you, if you're listening or watching, please subscribe. If you like the channel, I greatly appreciate it. Also, I do teach a course. If you like what you're saying, I'll show you, I'll give you this Excel model. I'll show you how to read financials and pull revenue and EBITDA, debt, how to calculate share, for share splits, how to forecast, and how to build a portfolio uh, that you can use for your own forecasting. Uh, check out my website, cashflowinvestingpro.com. And down below, you can get a link to the course in the description. All right, so next year we've got $3.7, $3.8 billion of EBITDA forecast, and that's going to grow, like I said, to $16 billion. I'm going to apply a six times EBITDA market value multiple to this business, and they've been traded as low as 3.4 when Mohish bought it, uh, Mohish bought it, and it's been as high as eight, average is six, so I'll apply the six. That's going to give me an enterprise value of just shy of $100 billion of enterprise, less some debt plus some cash gives me a market cap of roughly the same, market cap $90, $92 billion. I divide by uh, 1.1 billion shares and I get a price estimate out 10 years for Micron Technologies of $82.18. Now I take the same logic that we just went through, but for free cash flow basis, and I use a 3 3% yield, which is the average they have, and I get a $76.71 price target on a free cash flow basis for Micron Technologies. Okay, now we have two price estimates for this stock. I've got one based on a free cash flow yield basis of $76, and I have one of an EBITDA market multiple of $82. I'll split the difference, call it $79.80. Bucks. Now, only now do you look in the stock market to see what the price of the stock is. You don't look before you make, the, make your analysis. Run your numbers, get your own opinion on the stock, then look in the stock market because that stock market will inherently affect how you look at this business because you will naturally think the stock market is correct and oftentimes it is not. I can buy as much stock as I want for $58. That's the current stock price. So what does this mean? This means that I've got a, based on this current stock price, the enterprise value is 71 billion dollars. If I take my forward earnings forecast where I cut it down, it's of, of 7.8 billion dollars. It's trading at a 9.2 forward earnings, right? Now remember, Monish bought it at 3.4. It's been as high as about eight. So this to me is saying that this business on a go forward basis is very high on a, on a, on a EBITDA basis. And then as time progresses, if those earnings come true and hold that they're going to be lower than they were historically, you're going to see the stock come down in price and come down to where this $7.8 billion EBITDA forecast 
is a more average market multiple of say six times and not the not the 9.2 it's trading at right now. And that's what I'm gonna do for you right now. I'm gonna take a look at if, if we said this business is gonna be six times EBITDA this, what per share value does that mean? So that's that's my EBITDA forecast is 7.8 times six to get my enterprise value. I wanna less the cash that I have, um, excuse me, less the debt that I have, and I wanna add the cash that I have to get uh, market cap. Market cap of 40, uh, $40 billion. And if I take this 40 billion and I, I divide it by the shares outstanding, I'm at a $35 price target. So I think what this is saying, this is a very interesting lesson. As everyone is expecting earnings to be strong next year, and as earnings are coming in lower than people thought, there's a catch up here where people have to realize that that might be the new normal. If they hit this number, and you apply the average market multiple for this stock, this stock is a $35 stock. In fact, that's kind of the price range that Monish was buying the stock in 2019. I think this is a very attractive range for this stock. I think currently it's overvalued at this 9.2 uh, times. But let's put it in the IRR and see what happens. Okay, here we are. We've got our forecast of free cash flow per share. We've got $58, which is the current share price that's available. We've got our long-term forecast of 80 bucks a share, and I basically get a 7% IRR. That is less than the S&P 500 will do on any 10-year period of time. So it is not a well-priced stock in our opinion. However, if I change this to that $35 value, it becomes a 14% annualized IRR. That's an annual return that you make on your money if all of this pans out. Again, lots of forecasting here, but it, it, it's a risk-reward trade-off. And what, I'm, what I think is I would much rather pass on the invest, investment today, wait for it to come back down to the, the range Monish was buying the stock, and then buy it when it's at $35 a share because the stock is, uh, at that point, it would be very cheap, and at that point, it has no leverage. It has long-term growth ahead of it. That would be a much more attractive investment, in my opinion, than the 7% at the current rate. So I'll put up a little distribution chart for you so you can see it, $48 a share at 6% on the current forecast. If you're looking at this video or listening to the podcast in the future, and you want to know what should you do? Well, as the stock price moves higher up to $78, it's definitely not a buy at 3% IRR. But as it comes down less than $40, $43 a share at 11% IRR, as it falls back to 35, I think it becomes very, very compelling. So what kind of review do we want to give to this stock? Let's review the five key attributes for this stock. Number one, top line revenue growth, check the box, it's growing. Number two, EBITDA, long-term EBITDA, it's growing. Number three, strong free cash flow. Yes, cash flow is strong, positive every year. Number four, low debt. Absolutely, debt is z almost zero. That's fantastic. Well-priced, no, no it is not. It's not well-priced because the forward earnings are falling and it's trading at a very high market multiple at this point relative to the declining in earnings. What I would do is I would wait for those earnings to come down and you get much better of a steal and your, your price would approach what Monish bought his stock for. And I think you can understand from his perspective in 2019 when he was buying the stock, he was looking at a business that had halved in value, went from 8 to 3.4 enterprise value EBITDA. It had low debt. It was buying back shares. It had a good outlook going for it for a, a decent forecast. That is a great, great opportunity. So I think for us, we're going to go meh 
because we like a lot of the we like a lot of the fundamentals here. It's simply a matter of price. So I would definitely put this stock on your shelf, look at it every month, and if it starts coming down below forty, I think it's very interesting. Um, this is the review of uh, Micron Technologies and why. Uh, um, Monish bought the stock. I really hope you appreciate it and kind of get the feel for uh, how I look at stocks. If you like what I do, I highly, highly recommend you check out cashflowinvestingpro.com or the description down below. I do teach a course, as I said before. I will teach you how to do this and you should do this for every single investment you have. One, it'll limit the numbers of stocks that you can buy because there's only so much we can do. And number two, it's going to cause you, therefore, to focus your money and your efforts on the, the, the companies that you're most passionate about. Remember, buying a stock, you are an owner in that business. Stocks are not to be traded. They are to be bought and held for 10, 20, 30 years. Um, and that is the mind frame that you should approach buying an equity portfolio. And when you walk into the, the, the company or take part in the service, of a company that you own equity in, you should treat it like being the business owner and walking into your own pizza shop, or I always like the Starbucks analogy, if you own Starbucks shares, you should treat it like an owner. You walk in there, if you see garbage on the floor, you should pick it up because that is your restaurant too. In addition to the course at cashflowinvestingpro.com, I have the Cashflow Club, which I highly recommend you take it, take a look at. The Cashflow Club produces one-pagers. This is a one-pager. It is a one-page summary of everything I just went through, and we produce hundreds of one-pagers on a whole variety of stocks. And the recent decline of the stock market has caused some stocks to be projected 20 30% 30% IRR, some very, very attractive cash flowing business. So if you believe, like I believe, that a, a company is fundamentally valued on how much cash it produces, then the Cash Flow Club should be very of interest to you. Check it out. There's a free one pager in the link below where I summarize 10 years of financials, 10 years of cash flow. You get a forecast for EBITDA, you get a forecast for free cash flow, you get a write-up and analysis, and you get the five key attributes summarized for the company. I highly recommend you check out the Cashflow Club at cashflowinvestingpro.com. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. This has been a review of Micron Technologies. If you like it, the, the, uh, the video, the podcast, give it a like, give it a thumbs up. Throw a comment down below on YouTube. It helps the old algorithm out. I greatly appreciate that. And um, I wish Monish the best of luck in this awesome investment that he made early in 2019. And that we might be able to join him here in a couple, another six months or so if this stock comes down. Very, very attractive, phenomenal company. Uh, Thank you very much. Uh, This is Cameron Stewart from Rationally Investing. I appreciate the time. Bye-bye.